this is Barking to the Choir by Father Greg Boyle. And Greg Boyle, Father Greg Boyle runs um, a nonprofit in LA where the People who live in the barrio, gang members in particular, are learn, learn a trade and are reintegrated into society after coming out of jail or just coming off the streets. And this is a particular incident where he's confronted by a woman who is quite uh, religious. And she says, and he, he says, a woman once scheduled an appointment with me and before I knew it, she was unleashing the myriad ways God was disappointed in me and Homeboy Industries, which is the name of his organization. As a bride of Christ, I need to tell you that this place does not give glory to God, she said. I listened until I could no longer listen. Look, I said kindly, thanks for visiting and bringing me this important message. But you see all those people out there, all the gang members? I pointed to the reception area packed with gang members waiting to see me. I have only an hour left to see them all. She stood huffily and she said, so you're telling me that these people are more important than the Lord? No, I said as I walked her out the door. These, Jesus thinks they are the Lord. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. I'm Darlene Batchelder, it's in the program. Many of you know that I'm a spiritual director here at the church and that I'm also an ontological coach. When I say that, most people say, what the heck does ontological coach mean? Ontology is the metaphysical science of being. And so when I work with people, I work with people one-on-one, -on -one. I don't usually speak in front of a large crowd, I'm used to listening for who people are being. Are they being love and trust or are they being afraid? Spiritual direction is very similar in that I learn, I, I listen for who is God for people? Are people trusting God? Is God in their life? How does God show up in their life? Or are they afraid? Do they have a disempowering relationship with God? In most of, in most of these, this work that I do, in both modalities, I'm sitting one-on-one -on -one and talking to people, talking with them. I'm actually more listening than talking, and so this is a little different for me to tell you stuff because I find that most real insight comes when people plumb their own depths as a result of being asked a question. So this is, this is a challenge for me. Um, Richard Rohr is also a Franciscan theologian that many of us know because we read Wondrous Encounters, some of us did for Lent. Um, he's somebody that I particularly love, and he says the only stories that we can authentically share are our own. So I will begin there. Please pray with me. Gracious and most loving God, we are gathered here today as a community where we practice reflecting your love. May our words and our thoughts be aligned with your loving intentions for all of us. So I've already told you what I do. What I didn't tell you is who I was prior to doing what I do now. I was, like many people in this church, a career person. I was a manager at a high-tech company in Silicon Valley after I graduated from Cal. 
go bears. <laughs> there are a few of us in the congregation. That's heresy in Stanford territory. Then I was a stay-at-home mom. I took care of my elderly mother who lived to be 101. I did a really good job. Um, <laughs> at that time, I was also volunteering and I served on a lot of boards. I raised two sons, the youngest of which had a lot of challenges because he was born with cystic fibrosis, which some of you know is a, a very uh, challenging and actually terminal disease, but he's doing great. He's 30 years old, he's able to work, and he's doing really, really well. But who I was being in all of that time, both in my work at work and in my work as a stay-at-home mom, was this incredible overdoer. I was vigilant, I was busy, I was moving at warp speed. Um, I was a do-do-do-do-doer. As a matter of fact, when I first did my coach training, they threatened to duct tape me to my chair to get me to sit down because all, I was constantly jumping up. Um, and it came from a place of being worried that I wasn't enough. I felt like I always had to prove that I was doing the best or better or good enough and needed lots of acknowledgement about that. Um, and as a result, I didn't take great care of myself. I was exhausted all the time, and I got sick a lot. Over a period of years, as I trained as a coach, I realized that what was missing in my life was a spiritual practice, something that would slow me down. And so I found this wonderful church, and all you wonderful people, Mark Goodman Morris, the pastor at the time, and Mary Jo Alderson, the spiritual director for the church at the time, sent me off to Mercy Center where I did the Ignatian exercises and where I trained as a spiritual director. Um, those two things and my being in this community led to a transformation. And it was both spiritual and physical. It was a process, I get very emotional, of surrendering to God's love. I always knew, like intellectually, that God loved me. I knew it, because I'd been raised in a church. <laughs> I knew God loved me, but I didn't really know God loved me. I didn't really feel it deep, deep inside. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been running around like a little rabbit scurrying around trying to do stuff all the time. Um, but the critical thing that I had not learned is that God loves all of me, all of me, my loving ways of being and my fear-based ways of being that we all have. All of us have them. We're designed to have them as human beings to protect ourselves. And so I could not embrace those imperfections, the anger and the judgment, right? Um, but I learned to do it. I began to think of those parts of me as the small child that created those fear-based ways of being, what I call as a coach survival mechanisms or survival strategies. And I could embrace and hold and comfort the little girl that got very, very scared and very, very angry and very, very judgmental until eventually she stopped needing to be that way all the time. I refer to them also as my wounds. 
Some people say brokenness. I don't like that because brokenness, you need, fix, you need to fix something that's broken. We don't need fixing. We are whole and complete and wonderful just as God made us. We don't need fixing. However, we are wounded by life, by circumstances, and I learned to embrace my wounds. And I learned to trust at an even greater level, and it continues to grow, to trust that I am loved, that God loves me. Now this is not to confuse loving oneself with narcissism. Narciss narcissism is a completely different thing. Narcissists think they have, have to be perfect, and so they don't accept any criticism, and they are not self-reflective, right? When I love myself warts and all, it's possible for me to accept my mistakes and have compassion for them. I can have compassion for the fact that there are times when I forget to be kind. I did it just Friday in a phone conversation with a very nasty vendor. Um, but I can apologize, and I can make amends. Again, my foundation for this self-acceptance is a willingness to trust that God loves all of me. Jenny recently recommended, and I know that in adult ed, um, a lot of you are reading this book, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. And Karen Armstrong in this book uh, makes, I think, a very strong point uh, about how important it is to have empathy for ourselves so that we can then have empathy, empathy for others. Loving here in order to love out there more fully. Um, and I think of that as a muscle that we can grow by simply practicing it. That's my experience, and that's my experience with the people that I work for, work with. In um, Greg Boyle's book, Barking to the Choir, which I highly recommend, it's a very, very fast read, um, full of wonderful stories about people who were raised in impossible circumstances, or not raised, they were just sort of street kids, and the critical transformation for all of them that allows them to step fully into their lives and accept responsibility for being productive citizens and following the law, the critical transformation for all of them is that they didn't learn to love themselves. And because Father Greg and the people in this program at Homeboys Industries love them so completely that they learn to love themselves. It's when they learn to love themselves that they begin to see possibility and they begin to see a future. Love heals. Loving ourselves heals. If God loves me, if God loves all of me, why would I not? Who am I to tell God God is wrong? Uh, Sister Norma Pimentel, she, there's a great clip on YouTube. She gave a speech at the graduation of uh, Notre Dame, not Notre Dame, yeah, what's the Indiana, the Notre Dame, yeah, Catholic school, that's it, I'll get there. Brain's not as fast as it used to be. She said something really, really wonderful. She says, the world becomes more divine when we can see the face of Christ in our neighbor. And we are unlikely to see it in our neighbor if we can't see it in ourselves. We can't see it in ourselves. The benefit of the work I do, it's very selfish work. It's, it seems like very giving work, and it is. 
but it's also selfish because I get to sit with people every day and I get to see the face of Christ in them. It's on purpose. I look for it. I get to see it and I get to reflect it back to them. My experience as a coach and spiritual director is, as Sister Norma Pimentel said, a divine one. And I am grateful for it to God every day. Richard Rohr says that God confers on each of us a divinely decreed dignity, worth, and God-given equality. Divine worth. He's given us divinity. And he invites us to live out of our true self, our imago dei, right? Our, the image of God in us. The invitation here is to act as if we know we are the face of God, to act with compassion toward ourselves as God does. Richard Rohr also says something really, really wonderful. And that is that we don't think ourselves into a new way of being. We can sit around and think about this forever. And what I learned as a coach is that we actually have to practice. He says, we don't think ourselves into a new way of being. We live ourselves into a new way of thinking. It's by actually act, acting and being in action that our thoughts are changed, right? So it's possible to create the kind of transformation that I see every day and that I have experienced. And you don't have to sequester yourself in a monastery for years on end and wear sackcloth or whatever. You don't have to deprive yourself. You can practice. And there are many, many, many practices to, to get you there, I think. Um, here's one. My mouth is a little dry. <clears throat> I did this eight years ago when I was up here. It was a much shorter sermon. I had much less to say. <laughs> you are the face of God. I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. You are the face of God. You are the face of God. I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. You are the face of God. So that's a practice I recommend. I had a client who took this on, acknowledging himself in this way, when he got up in the morning in the bathroom mirror, when he went to work in the mirrored ceiling of the elevator, silently as he walked by windows on the street, anytime he could see his reflection in the rearview mirror of his car, over and over and over again. This is a man who had a horribly abusive childhood, horribly abusive childhood. And while he saw a therapist, what spiritual direction was able to do for him was to give him a deep sense of loving himself so that he could then more deeply love the circumstances in his life and the people in his life. Um, so that's one practice. There are many. If you want more, I can give you lots. The thing is, is that 
Acknowledging yourself, loving yourself, acknowledging that God loves you is spiritual medicine. And like most medicine, particularly antibiotics, we don't just take one dose and then put the medicine away, right? Coming to church is spiritual medicine. It's, we need to take it until we begin to feel a transformation. We need to practice until we begin to feel a transformation. In coaching, we say, um, you can be, do it, unco be uncomfortably comfortable, and then you will become comfortable doing it, right? I think Karen Armstrong points to this in her book, that we avoid compassion for others, and maybe even for ourselves, because it's uncomfortable to see suffering in the world. It's sad. I had somebody yesterday say, you know, I can only take so much. And my response was, yes, of course, we're human. We can only take so much, and then we need to go take care of ourselves, right? But the more you take, <laughs> the more you can take, the more willing you are to see suffering in the world, the more able you are to see it and be moved by it. I say it breaks my heart, breaks my heart whenever I sit with anybody because I know and I hear the pain that they are suffering. The good news is it breaks my heart open. <laughs> it breaks it open, right? And just like any other muscle, the heart muscle can grow. So we tend to look away from suffering because it's too painful. I say, titrate the pain a little, a little bit every day and practice compassion for it and compassion for your own pain at the pain that you see. So now to the scripture. I think that Jesus was able to wander from place to place. I've always marveled at this. I couldn't do it, obviously. I'm not Jesus, but I don't know many people who could to wander around with no possessions, not necessarily knowing where you're going to eat or where you're going to sleep, and sit with people and listen to them and talk to them and offer healing. But I think he was able to do that because not only did he know he was the son of God, but he knew he was the face of God. He knew he was God's face. And he had compassion for them and their suffering. But he also had compassion for himself. And he took care of himself so that he could continue to do it. Um, it was worth it, just as it's worth it for you and I to do it, because the harvest is great. The harvest is great for us. We benefit from the harvest, as well as the people that we sit with, that we are kind to, that we choose to be the face of God with. So, I invite you to choose what Jesus chose. C.K. Chesterton said, Christianity hasn't failed, it just hasn't been tried yet. <laughs> it's difficult, it's challenging. I don't actually use that word. It's challenging. It's challenging to be the face of God. It's challenging to love ourselves so, and love others and take care of ourselves so that we can do that. But I invite you to choose it anyway. In the face of the difficulty of it, why not? Why do something easy? Why not do something challenging? Trust God even more.
if you already trust God even more, kick it up a notch because you are the face of God. Amen.